is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. G'day, everyone, and welcome to Boarding Pass 62, operating on February 1st, 2021. This is Doug, and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Drew. We're two av geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Drew, how was the hub this week? <laughs> the hub is uh, hopefully fine right now, Doug. So um, I'm on my days off, of course, and it is snowing outside in D.C. and I think New York. This will be our biggest snowstorms for the last two years mm-hmm. so we're gonna get uh five to ten inches okay. which is a lot yeah. yeah it's a lot for anywhere and it's it's huge for this city which we don't get a lot of snow so but i'll tell you the planning so i'm working right before the storm so my job is to plan for the storm and set my coworkers up for success mm-hmm. for today and tomorrow so i'll tell you doug the planning is worse than the actual event oh i believe it <laughs> So everything from how many trucks our um, snow removal contractor has to how much glycol we have to was the ramp pre-treated? Do we have enough staffing? Can they get into work? Because if the DC area is, um, if there's, you know, feet of snow, are mm-hmm. people going to be able to get into work? So it's, it's 2 million things that you have to think of. And the next day, guess who gets blamed if one of those 2 million things <laughs> wasn't covered? <laughs> so... But, you know, I will say we had five calls, and I think I told you it, it was getting so crazy. The calls were blending into blending each together. other. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone had all their opportunities to ask me questions about what they needed. So uh, so it's a group effort, and it's a lot of work getting ready for this. And we've been getting ready for this for, for three years because we haven't had a big storm. So now I'm looking at the messages, emails, and the chat at work keeping my fingers crossed that nothing, right? oh, that nothing breaks down <laughs> that nothing breaks down and it's going well it's there's a smooth flow to the de-ice pads but i'll tell you I, and i think i sent you um that ana that's the only other airline we de-ice for is operating two cargo sections today right during these banks course, and i'm like yeah. are you serious yeah <laughs> So in between all of our flights, we're going to have two 787 Dreamliners that we have to de-ice, which takes longer, mm-hmm. but it's okay. I'm, I'm seeing that that's going well. So yeah. fingers crossed, we'll make that's it good. through the, uh, the uh, event. Yeah. How about your week? Uh, well, it's 65 and sunny here, which is beautiful <laughs> com- compared to, I, I know, I'm sorry, compared to what it was earlier in the week, though, we had, I mean, like you had the storm of the last two years, we had the worst storm that we've had since I lived here. It was like two straight yes. days of rain, 40 to 50 mile an hour winds in the upper thirties, low forties, San Francisco was landing on the ones. So arrivals were on runway one, which is oh, no way. completely opposite of San Francisco. I would say probably 350 days of the year takes off or departs on the one nines runway one nine, just because the mm-hmm. prevailing winds are always coming off the bay and it yep. flipped, it flipped 180. So that threw San Francisco into a tizzy this week. <laughs> and we lost power, a bunch of cleanup, lots of trees down. So it definitely was, uh, we, we usually get rain this time of year, but nothing like the winds that we had. So yeah. cleaning up from that, but I've got my, um, annual flight eval on Tuesday this week, plus my, one of my tests I have to finish up tomorrow. So I've been studying, I've been getting ready for, for my eval. And like you said, the, the prep, <laughs> the prep is the worst. What, once the I, worst. once I show up on Tuesday and I, I start actually doing the flight and doing everything, usually the nerves are gone by that point. It's, it's just that anticipation of game time of waiting for it to start. That's always the most difficult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But when it starts, it's over before you know it. And it's like all that prep and it usually goes really well, you know, but then it's that anticipation that's nerve wracking. All right. So um, before we go on, Doug, we got to mention, so it is the, it's February 1st. It's the start of African-American history month. I wanted to, uh, throw something out there aviation related the tuskegee airmen have you heard of them oh yeah absolutely okay so real quick they were a group of pilots this was back in world war ii they were um african-american and they flew fifteen thousand sorties in europe and north of africa in um, world war ii and they helped with the integration of african-americans into the pilot ranks mm-hmm. so it started you know encouraging integration in the military 
Now, they were known as the Red Tails, which I think is a cool name. Yeah. Those of you that don't live in the U.S., we have a football team in the Washington area called the Washington... It used to be called the Washington Redskins. Now it's called, now it's called the generic Washington football team because the term Redskins is a term for Native Americans, which mm -hmm. is not very flattering. So they're going to change the name, but they don't know what it is. So there's a few ideas out there that people are talking about. And some of these are horrible, Doug. <laughs> yeah, I know, but my, my boss is a big Redskin fan, so we, we give him a lot of grief for it. Yeah. So some of the names, one of, one of the names they're considering is the Hogs. Yeah. Well, so that's their their fan base is known as the Hogs. Oh, really? That's, okay, yeah, I was wondering that's, where that that's came why. from. I'm not a no, it's, it's, it's not just random. Um, the other name is the Senators. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like that. There's already a hockey team named the Senators. Right, and there used to be a the Washington baseball team used to be called the senators a long way, time ago. way way back yeah way back when the other name they're thinking about is the red tails so my that. vote is for the red tails i love it have you seen the logo that they're that they're proposing for the no for the red tails? Logo? yeah it's it's the same colors as the current team the the maroon and yellow and i it, i think it looks yeah i think it looks really good that uh, that would be my vote yeah and then sure. our team and i'm not a football fan but our team would have an aviation theme and maybe i'll start watching them yeah nice. So hopefully, and yeah. So, make, yeah. Hopefully, so now they like, they will be the Red Tails. Yeah, and then we'll have fake fights: uh, Green Bay Packers versus the Red Tails. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a fake fight. <laughs> no, that's no, a real fight. Okay, <laughs> that might be fun too, though. All right, so, all right, uh, guys. It's no secret. Doug and I love our white bodies on this podcast. So our warm up topic might take some of our listeners by surprise. Flight Global reported this week that Singapore Airlines will begin operating ex-Silk Air 737-800s in March. The airline's first narrow-body operation since it retired the 757 and the 737 Classic in the mid-90s. Cathay Pacific, another wide-body-only airline, launched A321neo service at the end of 2020, its first time operating a narrow-body since the 707 was retired in 1983. Now, Doug, you are the spreadsheet guy, and I know you probably think this is a smart move for both airlines from a dollars and cents standpoint, but I want you to justify these decisions from the passenger standpoint. So put that <laughs> spreadsheet away for a moment, <laughs> and how would you justify this from a passenger experience standpoint? Oh, it's, it's easy. With a 737, you have less than half the people as a 777 and A330, A350, which means that the boarding and deplaning process is going to be twice as fast. Not only that, but because you have half the people, you can have twice the number of flights. So if I want to mm -hmm. flight it, if I want to flight at two, and previously it was only either one or three o'clock, now I can go at two o'clock because there are going to be more frequencies on this route. And let's be honest, Drew, a two hour flight. So they're talking about, I think, launching initially from Singapore to, is it Jakarta? Or no, it's uh, Phuket, Phuket in okay, Thailand. Okay. Yeah, which is maybe a two hour flight. Why would I want to waste the experience on a, on a wide body with lay flat seats for just a two hour flight? I wouldn't want to waste that experience. Okay. No. And, and you know, think about it. When you're on a two-hour wide-body flight with lay flats, it's, yeah. it's whatever. You don't get to enjoy it. By the time you're, you're done eating your meal, it's time to descend anyways. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I, no, I, I have no desire to fly on a Singapore 777 from Singapore to Phuket. I'm more excited about having that frequency on a 737-800. Now, you're still... <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, look, we're not look, talking our true feelings yet, are we? No, we're not. No, no, part? no, we're absolutely no, we're absolutely yeah, not. I'm ready to shoot holes through your argument. <laughs> All right. So it's just so painful for both of us. You're you're the passenger experience guy who throws pragma pragmatism to the wind. I mean, mm -hmm. you think that Boeing should it should introduce a 797 configured with six abreast seating and two aisles. And and yeah, there might be. Um, mm -hmm. I want you to justify Singapore and Cathay's decisions based on the business case. Okay, so let me get my pocket protector on, get my sheets of paper and a calculator here. Yes, so how I would justify them flying narrow bodies is that they're cheaper to operate. And during COVID, there's less customers, so you don't need that capacity. Uh, you can have more frequency, just like you said. So that instead of flying one flight, they could fly a two or three. 
And, uh, you know, it's uh, faster to board, so you can have quicker turns, so you could do more flights, because there's so little revenue up there, so you need every, you know, squeeze every every dollar out of it. So, yeah, that's how I justify it. You know, at least until COVID-19 is over, narrowbody, I mean, this is my spreadsheet guy talk now, narrowbodies are the way to go. Mm-hmm. So, the goal is, uh, unfortunately, the priority here is making money. And passenger experience is taking a backseat during COVID right now. So that's what we're seeing with Singapore going to uh, narrow bodies. Yeah. Some narrow bodies. Yeah. That that was really painful. That was painful painful (laughs) for both both of us. So (laughs) tell me me how you really feel about this. So how I really feel is, and this actually happens. So when I'm going to Sri Lanka, sometimes I connect via Singapore. Mm -hmm. And there have two flights with a Singapore code on it same price one of them is operated by silk air and Mm -hmm. it's actually a better connection for me so i don't have to stay in singapore right if i take that flight no (laughs) i will stay a night in singapore and lose 10 hours yeah to get an a330 300 and you know it's not just that it's a wide body i have found that same airline on the wide body flight you just get better service Mm -hmm. and i can't explain it it seems like the food is better. Maybe it just tastes better because I'm on a nicer plane and it, I'm just in the mood. So I will go out of my way for a wide body. And it's kind of sad because Asia is famous for these. They mm-hmm. will fly a 777-300 from uh, Hong Kong to Colombo, you yeah. know, to Sri Lanka, right? And then that's Hong a Kong, regional Hong Kong route. to Taipei, which is an hour-long flight. Right, yeah, exactly. Just, just back and, and forth. I do take issue with your faster boarding because a 777 we have boarded a 777, full 777 in 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, wow. yeah, two, two aisles and two doors that you can use. So the mm-hmm. first and business class cabin can get off on, the, on door one left, and then everyone behind them can get off on one or uh, two left. Yeah. Right. And it's not all just me being an av geek. So when I'm flying there, right, I'm, I'm a revenue customer. I'm, mm-hmm. I usually buy a revenue ticket on that segment. Yeah. And... A lot of revenue customers like you will look for wide bodies, and I'm sure you and I aren't the only ones because they want that experience. Exactly. Yeah. So, from my perspective as a passenger, this saddens me for the same reasons you said because we, mm-hmm. we love wide bodies, even on short flights like that. So, everything that I said about that, I was completely joking. <laughs> of course, I would much rather fly on a wide body, even for an hour, two hour flight. Yeah. But I can tell you from from the business case it does make sense to sprinkle in a few narrow bodies Be- because again, like, like I said, you can augment those routes so you can have more mm-hmm. frequencies, but not only that, it'll allow Singapore to fly to destinations that they hadn't previously served that a yeah. triple, that a triple seven was just too big of an airplane, not necessarily from a, a weight standpoint of the airplane, but just from total number of passengers, you know, it's, yeah. it's the same thing as, as look at Delta United American, they're never going to run a triple seven from Dallas to San Antonio. There just no. isn't that there is not the capacity need for it. So no, runs, and they'd rather run, have, you know, a bunch of flights. Yeah, exactly. And they run seven thirty sevens instead because that way they can feed their they can feed their hub. And Singapore, right. yes, there is a lot of O and D, the origin and destination traffic, but Singapore is a huge connecting hub. So to be able right. to use Silk Air's, which so we should explain, Silk Air was a wholly owned subsidiary of Singapore, which has now folded. And so they're moving the operation into Singapore. So in a way, they were already kind of doing this. Now it's just mainline, mainline Singapore. Yeah. And, you know, this just feeds into our discussion where when when these flag carrier airlines or these major airlines try and have a subsidiary that's a uh, low fare, mm-hmm. it hardly ever works out. So now we see this playing out in Asia. That's got to cost more money to have different uniforms, different paint job, di- you know, yeah. why not just have the same product on a smaller scale and use the same crews, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Qatar has mm-hmm. narrow bodies now. Yes. So does Etihad. Can you see Emirates going this direction? Because right now Emirates only has wide bodies. And and That's so like I, I mean Emirates before the blockade of with Qatar, Emirates was flying, I think it was like 15 daily triple seven three hundreds on the hour long flight to Doha. That's now, crazy. They, they wouldn't do that if they didn't if they didn't need it. 
right? I mean, the capacity definitely was needed because Dubai is such a big connecting hub. But I, yeah. it, that's not e economical, you know? You, right. you could run a bunch of 737s, a bunch of A321s, and A321, you could put a relatively high density seating with business class still, and you, you could have 180, 190, possibly 200 people, which uh -huh. really isn't that much less than some of the high premium configuration triple sevens sevens, yeah, three thirties. You know, I don't think they'll do it because by the time they set that all up, traffic's going to be coming up. True. Yeah. Right. And I think, um, you know, for Emirates, I think the 787 is their narrow body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's not the 8380. Right. Yeah. And that's happening. You know, they're going to get these 777Xs, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And they're downsizing some of those orders to a 787-10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Before you go on, I want to yeah. add a flight. Now that we're having this dis discussion. Yeah. We should add another flight to our flight list. Yeah. To the list, as we the, call it. The list. Right. Our, our, these are all our dream flights. We got to do JetBlue Mint across the Atlantic when they launch it. Or if United or American, they put A321 XLRs on a route, mm -hmm. we should fly it. And then, you know, Compare. we hate narrow bodies and just, just experience it. Because we might be like, you know what? That was really nice. It might change our whole world. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, well, we do have quite a few news briefs to cover. That was a fun, sarcastic segment. But Drew, you, you did have a good segue leading into the 777X. So what, what do you have on that? Yeah, so this is from Business Insider. Boeing reports a record annual loss of nearly $12 billion and delays its 777X jet to 2023. More than half of Boeing's annual loss was a $6.5 billion write-down on the 777X delay, which is huge. Uh, the 777X was originally planned to enter service this year. Or no, last year, Doug. Mm -hmm. So it's already late. The new timeline has it expected to enter service in late 2023. 787 deliveries. 787, we think that's you know the hero in winning all these orders. No, even that slumped 70%. And the company doesn't expect to recover to 2019 levels until at least 2024. But on a positive note, revenue in the fourth quarter was only down 15% year over year. That's a good sign. Yeah, compared to the airlines that were down 60 to 70 percent yeah definitely especially with all the trouble boeing has had i, I want to come back to this triple seven x though that's really oh, all, that's really all i want to focus on drew they took a 6.5 billion dollar write down that mm -hmm. is almost the cost of what a brand new program should cost to to begin with and so all wow. of these all of these delays are costing boeing so much money and they're losing orders. Uh, airlines are saying the triple seven X is either too big for what they need or it's delayed. So they're like you said, Emirates is getting seven eight seven dash tens instead, mm -hmm. or or reducing their order for the triple seven X. We I, I, we've been beating this horse to death on this program, talking about yeah. how the triple seven X is just too much of an airplane, even in a post COVID post COVID world. I feel like. Well, I I feel like. What is the place for the triple seven X? We already have the seven eight seven, which the dash ten is similar in terms of capacity, right? Yeah. But listen, listen to this, Doug. I'm, this is disappointing range for the triple seven X. The current one, the first one, is going to be the nine X, mm -hmm. which is in test flights right now. The range is only seven thousand two hundred eighty-five nautical miles. Okay. How does that stack up with the triple seven three hundred ER? With the triple seven, good question. Because I, 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 think, I think I think the triple seven X is is more or less a triple seven three hundred ER replacement. It's just yeah, a, so a new engine, just a slightly new variant of the yeah. Which the triple seven three hundred ER has been a monster for a workhorse, Boeing yeah. and for the airlines. It, the airlines love it. The airlines that have it love it. Yeah, it's basically a more efficient triple seven three hundred. Yeah. Right. But listen to this, Doug. So the A350-1000, which it competes against, mm -hmm. not even the ULR, which they haven't they haven't announced that they're going to make this ultra-long-range A350-1000, right? The current A350-1000 has a range of 8,700 nautical miles. Mm -hmm. So it's just a regular A350-1000. So already yeah. it's it's beating the 777-9X. Yeah. Right? So now here's some, just to give everyone a perspective the distance from san francisco to singapore is 7337 nautical miles so triple seven nine x out of the running for that can't right you can't use it 
Sydney to JFK, 8,284 nautical miles. Can't do it. Mm-hmm. San Francisco to Sydney, 6,400 nautical miles. It can do that. Mm-hmm. And then the um, smaller brother, the 787-10, that has a really disappointing range. Only 6,345 miles. It's so United and American can't use it to Australia. No, it's because of the extra weight. So the mm-hmm. m- most, most of the fuel that airplanes use is in the wings. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically the same wing, or it, it is the same wing as the 787-9. But its unit costs are higher because it's heavier because they yeah. they have more seats it's stretched and so that's more of a high density medium haul like east coast to europe even west right. coast of, of the us to europe where you want to get more people on the airplane it, it just you know what it I didn't check. the same range I, though I didn't, I didn't check to see if it could go uh west coast to uh tokyo i think it can i, I bet it could yeah yeah it definitely can go to um san francisco to london i believe mm-hmm. yeah i think i've seen it i know uh klm i've seen the klm 78-10 at san francisco so it can go yeah. amsterdam which is a little bit farther than san fran london yeah yeah so we have a friend and a um a listener his name's greg he's like this total triple seven freak right loves a triple seven even pro- maybe even more than the 747 which is crazy so i sent him a picture of uh, british airways a350 1000 at the gate at uh dulles and he's like Wait a minute! I'm having second thoughts because that <laughs> looks so cool. It's oh, right? it's and yeah, it's a good looking airplane. It's a good looking airplane, and then looking at these numbers, a three fifty one thousand. It has the same range as a. It has a longer range than the seven eight seven dash nine. Really? Believe that? No. Yeah, I mean, double check this, but the seven eight seven dash nine is showing seven thousand five hundred thirty nautical miles, mm-hmm. and the a three fifty one thousand eight thousand seven hundred. Oh, well, so Isn't quite that crazy? A bit, yeah, quite a bit more. So I could do San Francisco, Singapore mm-hmm. with higher capacity. Yeah. Anyway, so we'll, we'll talk more about that. Yeah, that's crazy. All right. Well, the next one, CNBC is reporting that American and Southwest post record annual losses as industry recovery remains elusive. American posted the largest quarterly loss of the major U.S. carriers, which is roughly $2.2 billion loss, which actually was less than what analysts expected. Southwest also posted its first annual loss since 1972. Drew, that's 49 mm. years. Southwest is that's 50 crazy. years old. So if if I read this correctly, the only time Southwest has ever lost money on an annual basis was their first year of operations. But that I mean that that just that's goes given. to show how bad 2020 was. Both airlines said that the first two quarters of 2021 will be much like the end of 2020. American CEO Doug Parker strayed from the predictions as other CEOs have made and said, we don't know when we may return to prior levels of demand. So if you remember Ed Bashan of Delta and Scott Kirby of United tried to predict when when they thought it would be back. Uh, we'll do a comparison segment of all the airlines reports in the next couple of weeks. Drew, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> I think I'm just going back to Dr. Fauci. Uh, in the U.S., he's our um, infectious disease expert. So he is he's pretty uh, conservative. So he's thinking we'll be in recovery by the fall when 85% of Americans are vaccinated. So I think that's the um, that's a hurdle to get to fall. Yeah, that's a good seg- that's a good segue to the next segment. I think looking at these airlines, so they've largely forged similar paths over the last year regarding employment capacity, etc. But Doug, I think we're finally reaching a point in the nascent airline recovery where airlines are going to begin taking more divergent paths, which is exemplified in the following headlines. So take Southwest Airlines. This is from Business Insider. Southwest Airlines is offering another round of voluntary leave to workers. From Yahoo Finance, U.S. budget airline Frontier is doing the opposite. They're they're resuming pilot hiring. Good for them. And then Delta plans to bring back 400 pilots, indicating their optimism about the future of travel. Now, we have we, we'll discuss this, Doug. So 400 of those, there's um, 1,700 pilots that are getting reduced pay, but they're still on the payroll. And we talked about how this was such a good idea from Delta because we know we know that these pilots are going to be needed again soon. And sure enough, they're already going to be bringing back 400 of those 1,700. Yeah, Drew. And the senior vice president of operations for Delta, his name is John Laughter. He said, bringing these pilots he said this is well ahead of when we originally estimated we would convert pilots back to full flying status and he's saying that delta is hoping to build up its operations so it can be back to full operations by summer of 2022 
So we're, uh, I, I get it. It's still a year and a half away. A lot can happen between then, but you've got Southwest who's, who already had 17,000 employees who took voluntary leave in 2020. And they're saying, Hey, we, we need some of these employees to take more time off voluntarily mm -hmm. at, at reduced pay. And then Delta yeah. is saying, we have people who have been on reduced pay and we need to bring it back. We're ready. And this goes right. completely against what we've been talking about. We've been saying that the carriers like Southwest, like Spirit, who also said that they're going to start hiring pilots this year, the leisure-based or more leisure-based domestic-focused U.S. carriers are the ones who we said were going to be coming back faster. Yeah. And, and now you see someone like Southwest who is going in the opposite direction of this big legacy network carrier like Delta. Mm -hmm. Who knows which one is right, but... I, the way I look at it, Delta is a big ship. Big ships are difficult to steer. And so if they start to steer late, meaning if they start to bring people back, back late, late, right. then they're mm -hmm. not going to be ready for any sort of a recovery. Whereas they have the, the low cash burn and the high liquidity to be able to make a mistake. It mm -hmm. is kind of how I feel Delta is handling this, knowing if they bring too many people back, their cash burn will go up a little bit, but they have the liquidity to ride it out. Whereas, yeah, exactly. whereas an airline, like say American, who has much lower liquidity, higher cash burn, they don't have that, that ability right now to take a gamble and to step out on a limb like, right. like and what then, Delta is doing. Well, yeah. And, you know, Delta, United, American, these are old legendary airlines where people have made careers. And while COVID is going on, people are still leaving. They're retiring. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's also going to create some openings. Yeah, definitely. Oh, so, yeah. No, I think um, United did the same thing where they kept uh, a lot of pilots on the payroll, paying them like 25%. And they're still an employee. They still have health care. Mm -hmm. They still have travel. And then it's very easy to flip that switch because they're still employees and bring them back mm -hmm. quickly yeah. when needed. Yeah. Exactly. And I'll tell you, Doug, you know, working at an airport, People are traveling and it's getting back to some normalcy, just normal, just, you know, flying with masks. And with the low fare carriers, you can't fly internationally yet. It's just not feasible with the quarantines and stuff. Mm -hmm. So people are going to visit the Grand Canyon. I've never visited that. There's so many places that we can go in this country. You don't need a visa for and you don't need a COVID test. But now that I'm saying that... <laughs> There's a concern about that too, but we'll, we, we haven't. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. We've, we've got one more positive story before we talk about that. So we're going to end our news recap on a positive note, talk about something we haven't in a while, which is the vaccines. Wall Street Journal reported this week that the Pfizer vaccine works against mutations found in the UK and South Africa, which uh, was found by a lab study. So they haven't done person testing, people testing yet, it sounds like. But in reading the story, it looks like the lab study found that it, it does work against these new mutations, which a lot of people have been worried about. And then mm -hmm. CNN is reporting that Johnson & Johnson vaccine is 66% effective in the global trial and 85% effective against severe disease. Now, let's, let's talk about this Johnson & Johnson one for a little while. Currently, it's only a single dose, but they're also testing a two-dose regimen, which the other pharmaceutical companies have not tested. They haven't tested a single dose. So the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines have to be given in two doses because they, okay. they didn't really do the, the testing or the trials for a single dose. A single dose. So Johnson & Johnson is going to have a vaccine that could be used in either a one or a two dose. And they expect that their second dose is going to get an efficacy rate close to Moderna and Pfizer. The, the big difference here between Johnson & Johnson and the others is the Johnson Johnson vaccine can be stored for up to three months at temperatures between 36 and 46 degrees Fahrenheit. So just mm. a, normal, a normal refrigerator. It doesn't have to be that super chilled, negative 80, negative 90 Celsius, like the Pfizer vaccine. Yeah. This is going to be really helpful for parts of the world where storage for is an issue, where distribution is an issue. So this could be the Johnson Johnson vaccine could be that, I hate to say world saving vaccine, but this yeah. could become, could become that. And they're it could uh, the most prevalent because it's so easy to exactly, transport. Exactly. Yep. Use. And the company said that they're going to apply for use in the U S as early as next week. So yeah, I'm hearing news reports. It might be out next week. Yeah. So we'll have a third one. So 
you know, when you hear 66% efficacy, you're like, oh, I don't want that one. But what people should know is people aren't getting, people aren't going to the hospital. Like people are still staying healthy. Mm -hmm. So maybe they still get COVID, but this vaccine helps them fight it. Mm -hmm. So apparently there's no one dying from COVID that's taken this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so effective at keeping people healthy and not even going to the hospital. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't know if you remember when we first reported the effic efficacy rates for the other two vaccines, everyone was blown away by 95%. They said that that is so good. Any vaccine that can get above 50% is considered a success. And Dr. Fauci, who, who you mentioned earlier, said this mm -hmm. week, if it wasn't for the other two vaccines at 95%, if you see 66%, yeah. you say, wow, that's a really good vaccine. But mm -hmm. we're, com we're comparing that 66% to the 95%, 94.5% of the other two vaccines. Well, now, Doug and I are not medical professionals, but Doug, I think that this is a good thing that there's several out there, and I'll tell you why. So if there's just one out there, from what I know about viruses, it can easily find a way around that vaccine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, But the fact that we have several, it makes it harder for the virus to mutate because mm -hmm. we're killing it in different ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, guys, our main topic, which Drew alluded to just a couple minutes ago, revolves around something that's a seemingly contentious issue, which is COVID testing and flights. Several news outlets this week reported that the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control in the United States, is, and I do this in air quotes, actively looking at mandating COVID tests for domestic flights. The U.S. already requires those for international flights coming into the U.S. The CDC said it's exploring other travel rules beyond just testing, but they didn't expand on what that is. Airlines pushed back. So Gary Kelly, the CEO of Southwest, said, why pick on air travel? If you want to test people, test them, but test them before the they go to the grocery store, test them before they go to a restaurant, test them before they go to a sporting event. And Doug Parker from American said, we'll obviously work with the administration on what makes sense, but we also want to let them know the kind of impact this would have on travel. Drew, let's, <laughs> let's dive into this. This is a loaded topic. Yeah. What needs to happen is all the states need to have a Zoom meeting and just say, what kind of testing can we all agree on? What mm -hmm. kind of standards can we all have? So we can open these borders. I mean, it's not feasible for New York to have one standard to fly into New York and Pennsylvania has something else when mm -hmm. people can just walk over. We've got to come up with a standard. Now, I was of the opinion that everyone should have a test to fly because then people will be more comfortable and it's safer on the planes. But why is it? I'm Now I'm thinking about what Gary Kelly said from Southwest. Why is the why is that the airlines problem? Mm -hmm. You know, why just airlines? Why not just have the whole country do testing, you know, and just leave it at that so that we're safe everywhere? Mm -hmm. Why is there a double standard for an airplane? There's not a double standard for the train or the bus. No, I, I think it's because people worry about that interstate travel. And it's not so much getting it on the airplane. It's what whether you have it when you go somewhere or are you mm -hmm. spreading that? I, I think that's that's the fear that a grocery store or a movie theater or a sporting event tends to be more localized. And so if you're spreading it, you're spreading it to people in your community. You're not bringing it from San Francisco to Houston. I, I yeah. think that's, th that's the fear, but I can tell you as someone who travels recently, even during COVID about once mm -hmm. a month for, for work purposes. And as someone who has been tested a couple of different times, the mm -hmm. turnaround, at least in California, was at minimum 72 hours what, from when I get tested to when I get the results. And uh, a, a lot of these, like coming back into the US, you have to have a negative test within 72 hours. Well, if you get yeah. tested and it takes 96 hours for that test to come back, and I, I know I brought this up, oh, yeah. what about the vaccines? Like, no one, again, no one is talking about what happens to people who have been vaccinated. Right? Do people who have been yeah. vaccinated have to then produce these negative tests? I, I don't know. No one is. No one is talking about that. Well, I think so because you know we're talking about this Johnson and Johnson, where sixty six percent effective, meaning that forty four percent will still have it, even 30, though they got thirty thirty four. Yeah, four percent. Yeah, a third of yeah, a third of the people would still have it. They'll be carriers, so that's a problem, right? Because yeah. they could still transmit it on a flight or wherever yeah. they go. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I, I see it from both sides. I definitely, I definitely do. I, I totally get what you're saying that yes, it would, it would likely help keep the spread down, but at the same mm-hmm. time as, as an essential worker, as someone who travels essentially for, for work, I, I was on a flight right before Christmas to Sacramento from Atlanta. The majority of the plane were traveling nurses who were coming mm-hmm. to California to, to help out with the surge that we had here. Yeah. And if you're not able to get a test within, you, you know, you, you take a test, let's say, and you're waiting on the results and then you have to miss your flight. I mean, I guess now with changes and, and change fees and things gone away, you could possibly take a flight the next day because then you'll right. have the negative test. So maybe, maybe for like my work travel, I would have to plan on initially traveling a day or two before I have to be there just in case I don't get my test results and then have to delay a day or something like that. That that could be an answer, I guess. What, so now I'm asking you, I have not been tested. <clears throat> How much does it cost? Like, is it? I don't know. My, it, my, my insurance covered it, so I, I couldn't okay. tell you. But but I do know. So my neighbors, my next door neighbors went to Hawaii for Thanksgiving because Hawaii mm-hmm. was open if you had a negative test within 72 hours. So they, they got tested. I think it was probably three, maybe four days prior, probably three days prior to their flight. They didn't get the results mm-hmm. within 72 hours. So they they still, they drove to the airport. They were flying United from San Francisco, which was offering the uh, the testing right. at the airport, the rapid testing. But they, okay. had to pay, they had to pay like 200 bucks per person and they're a family yeah. of five. So right. that's like a, all of a sudden now $1,000 that you're having to pay for these rapid tests. And, and how soon did they, did they get it back? Like right there? Uh, 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, something like that. And they were negative. So they traveled and, and had a good time in Hawaii. But yeah. until we can get the testing sped up and standardized and get a, a quick turnaround on things, I, I just, I, I understand where they're coming from, but I just don't think that this is a practical answer. Yeah. No, there's a lot of work to do. Probably, hopefully a lot uh, smarter people than us thinking of how to fix this. All right, let's get back to uh, range, Doug. This is our ops center discussion. Our ops topic for this week came about from a discussion we recently had with some of our friends about aircraft range. We were talking about possible aircraft orders for certain airlines and routes they could launch with those aircraft. I made a comment that the 787-10 didn't have the range required for some of the routes we discussed, and I sent a screenshot of the distance. Now, the screenshot I was sending was actually the miles. It was a Google search. Doug brought up a good point. Distance isn't everything in regards to range. Explain that, Doug. Yeah, so there are actually two different types of miles, which a lot of people might not realize. Nautical miles and statue miles. You've heard us talk about nautical miles on the podcast, but you may not actually know what that is. A lot of people think that they're one and the same. A nautical mile is 6,076 feet, while a statue mile is 5,280 feet. So about 800 some feet different, which when you're only going a mile, 800 feet really isn't all that much. But when you're going 8,000 miles, that really adds up. So for instance, the 787-10, its range on Boeing's website, what they what they say the range is, is mm-hmm. 6,345 nautical miles, which is actually 7,301 statute miles. So a thousand statute miles further than what the nautical mile is. Yeah, big difference. Now, distance isn't everything too when it comes to range. It really comes down to atmospheric conditions. And so a couple examples that we have are Delta, when they retired their 777-200LR, had to get creative with how they could continue serving Johannesburg. The A350-900, which is what Delta is using to replace the 777-200LR, can do Atlanta-Johannesburg with no problem, but it Mm -hmm. can't do the return it doesn't have the range to do Johannesburg Atlanta because Johannesburg is at 6,000 some feet above sea level, which decreases the performance It's hot. So heat decreases the takeoff performance of an airplane and then the winds. So the headwinds that they run into heading back across the equator toward Atlanta, make it impossible for the A350 900 to do that flight. And here's an example of the winds. We looked at a couple of flights, one from New York to Hong Kong and one from Hong Kong to New York. So direct, if you just go point to point, great circle route is 8,054 statute miles, which equates to 6,990 nautical miles. There was a flight that we looked at eastbound. So from Hong Kong to JFK, 
that was flown in 14 hours, 57 minutes, and it covered mm-hmm. 9,019 statute miles. And then there was a westbound flight that was an hour longer at 1549. That was more than 1200 statute miles longer. And so what, what they do, what the airlines do, what the airplanes do, and we've talked about this, is they'll go a complete different direction. Maybe not the shortest route, but it all comes down to time. I yeah. Drew, I could not tell you what the range of my airplane is based on distance. I can that tell is you, so interesting because I can tell yeah, you I mean, how long I fly. Yeah, because um, you know, for the listeners, we're talking about this in range with other Av geeks, and Doug chimes in as the pilot. You're not thinking about range; you're thinking about hours. How many hours of fuel based on the winds and I mean, you think about distance, but mm-hmm. you're thinking about hours of fuel, right? Yeah, Primarily. yeah, absolutely. So we we have, a, let's say our airplane holds 200,000 pounds of gas. And let's say our engine, and I'm just making these numbers up. Let's say our mm-hmm. engines burn 20,000 pounds of gas an hour. My range, yeah. my effective range would be 10 hours with 200,000 pounds of gas, 20,000 pounds an hour, 10 hours. Plus, probably take a little bit off for reserves because we have to have alternate gas and, and holding fuel and, and whatever. So maybe nine hours. Yeah. So there are programs out there. So like when I fly from the West Coast to, say, Tokyo, we have programs that we run on our flight plans that take into account the atmospheric conditions that we're going to encounter. So the headwinds. Mm-hmm. And then we know how much gas to put on the airplane based on that. Yeah. Just just totally okay. based on on the hours. So wow. most most pilots do not talk in the, like we talk in distance saying, hey, it's twenty five hundred miles from New York to Los Angeles, let's say. Right. But we talk about it in performance of the airplane. How many hours are we going to fly? So in the in the winter, we always say winter winds. So in the winter, the winds are a lot stronger from from the West, at least in the northern hemisphere than they are in the summer. Mm-hmm. So, Drew, our flight that we did in March last year from Newark to L.A., do you remember how long that took? From New York to LA, I think it took five and a half hours. Yeah, it was it was between like five and a half and, and six. March, the winds are still pretty strong. If you yeah. were to do if you were to do that flight in say July, it might mm-hmm. only be five hours mm-hmm. because the winds right. aren't as strong. So the range on that airplane, the airplane actually could have gone farther in yeah. July than it would possibly in say December, just based on the winds. Yeah. So yeah, you know, if you're an airline and you have enough money, just only buy A350 ULRs. <laughs> there it is. The range is 9,700. So you have all that extra range in your pocket, so you don't have to worry about getting out of Johannesburg, right? Yeah. So you're saying if you're in Sydney mm-hmm. and you have a 787-10 and you're trying to get to, uh, hold on, let's see, Sydney to San Francisco, 6,400 mm-hmm. miles, and the range of a dash 10 is 6,300. Are you telling me with a strong tailwind, you could roll the dice and maybe make it? With a strong tailwind, I could I could probably get there, but I couldn't get home. Mm-hmm. I would have to stop in right. Honolulu or something. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and just to end this discussion, this is why the A321 XLR across the Atlantic is going to save, it's really going to help the airlines because we were flying the 757 to Madrid, Edinburgh, London sometimes, mm-hmm. and sometimes it wouldn't make it back. Yep. It would have, to have a tech stop somewhere. Yeah, yeah you got that headwind. Mm-hmm. So with the uh, A321 XLR, it can go all the way to Rome. Forget about London. It can go from the East Coast to Rome, but they're not going to go to Rome. They're going to go to Western Europe. So now you have that thousand pound, a thousand miles in your pocket. So you don't have to stop on the way home mm-hmm. in Bangor, Maine. In where else do they stop? Gander. Gander. Right? Yep. Yeah, one of these days, one of these episodes, I'll tell you about where when I had to leave D.C., I had to just ask people, hey, who wants to go? Who wants to go? We had to go to Bangor to save a 757. Oh, wow. Okay. It had diverted there. Yeah. <laughs> it was going to Newark, but in D.C., we had another 757. It, it went on maintenance, and it stopped That's, in Bangor. Okay. Yeah. Good discussion, because I've had to divert to Bangor, because I couldn't make it. Oh, save that for the next. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's a real, really good discussion. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good. Now, before we go on, we got a, we had a late ad for this episode. So our friend Greg, who's that uh, 777 freak that's now looking <laughs> triple seven cheating freak. on the 777, <laughs> um, he did a poll on Twitter. Now, the Super Bowl's coming up February 7th, right, Doug? 
uh it's next sunday whatever 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 that date is yeah Yeah, i think yeah i think the seventh are you gonna watch it oh yeah definitely of course i will all right so the super bowl is gonna have a flyover of these three military u.s air force bombers a b1 a b2 and a b52 so we'll talk about the poll so the question was uh which airplane should be in front how should they be you know what um order should they fly in fly in their formation right like what should be first but before we go to that doug and i wanted to do some explaining on these aircraft because most of our listeners are more airline based i would think Mm -hmm. right yeah these are military bombers so let's start off with the b-52 that is the oldest it was built in the 1950s if you want to i'm going to explain what it looks like and correct me doug so it's a really long plane it looks like a cigar it has high wing mm-hmm. i thought it had four engines but mm-hmm. you're telling me it's eight it's eight so it's it two pods and or two engines in each pod and it's got two pods on each wing so each wing has right. has eight engines or sorry each, each wing has four engines so eight total yeah yeah and we don't know who makes those engines or how they maintain them but that's another that's a whole other topic <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. It is called the Strato Fortress, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, but you have another name for it. I do. It's called the we we call it the Buff in the Air Force, and that stands for big, big, ugly flying <laughs> F. You you can you can fill it. You can fill in that F. Yeah, and ever and no one says I fly Strato Fortresses. I have friends okay. who who fly it, and they say I'm a buff. I'm a buff. But they they call themselves buff drivers. So they're a they're a buff driver. So it's big, ugly. What's the F again? Flying F. Uh, flying, yeah, you, can, okay. you can fill in yeah. the fill in the four letter word. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that that nickname makes sense because you and I love airplanes, and I think both of us would confirm that it is an ugly. Looking I don't know how it flies, just from a, yeah. a um, engineer <laughs> engineering perspective. Greg's an engineer. Yeah, he can answer that. But you look at it, and it's like, how does that thing get in the air? Yeah. All right. The next one is the B-1 bomber that was built in the 1970s. Its um, official nickname is the Lancer, but you got another name for that too. Yeah, we we call it the Bone. The Bone. Mm -hmm. So now to describe this plane, I would say it kind of looks Concorde-esque, right? It has wings in the back, you know, it has a Delta wing. Um, It has a long nose. Why is it called a Bone? I couldn't tell you. I'm sure there's a reason for it. And it's it, okay. technically, technically, it's not a, a delta wing. It's a swept back. So the wing actually, when it lands, it comes mm-hmm. out to look, look more like an airliner wing. And then yeah. when it's when it's in cruise, that's when it sweeps back. It, it's a movable, movable wing. And, and that, I, that one has the longest range, right? Uh, possibly. No, I think the B-52, actually, probably. Because the, the B-1 the has... The B one has afterburners and it, it okay. can fly above the speed of sound, and that's not efficient at all. Can Fly, you refuel like any that. of these with your? Uh, I plane? have, all yeah, of all of them. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, that's crazy! All right, then the last one is the B two that was built in the eighties. Now this one's easy to recognize. It's just, just one that looks like a triangle. It looks like a little thin, you know, almost like a frisbee, but it's a triangle. It's so thin, so it so it misses the radar, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't it's have a big radar profile. Flying wing. We it's it's called the stealth bomber. Yeah. Stealth bomber. Yeah, it's called the stealth and no nickname, right? Well, it technically it's the spirit, but I again I have friends who fly the B two and no one says I'd fly the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> they just say I fly the B two or the stealth bomber. Okay, so do you want to discuss okay, so on the poll, fifty two percent said that they would choose the B fifty two to lead these three aircraft. What what are your thoughts? Well, I can tell you from a formation standpoint, as someone who flies formation with heavy airplanes, we always, always, always have the heaviest airplane go first. Hmm. When when we are so when two KC tens are flying together, the heaviest mm-hmm. goes first. The reason for that is their minimum maneuvering speed, meaning the speed mm-hmm. that they can fly and and turn and maneuver safely, is higher than what ours is. So you always want the heavier air, or the, the airplane with the higher speed to go mm-hmm. first, because that way we know that we can speed up or slow down to stay in position. And we're never mm-hmm. outside of an unsafe envelope like that. We might we might get into a dangerous situation. So but what about the weight turbulence with the heavier plane in front? 
it, I, it's it's mainly based on the design of the airplane and less okay. the less the weight. So when when I'm behind a KC10 that weighs three hundred thousand pounds, or behind one that weighs five hundred thousand, mm-hmm. as far as far as I know, the wake turbulence is no different. It's all just uh-huh. it's all just based on the design of the airplane. And when the, now, uh, you wanna, the planes behind should be above it, should it be should they be above? Yeah. So yeah. So in formation, um, uh, once you level off, yeah, the the planes behind will be above, so that you're not in the yeah, the wake turbulence. Wait. Yeah. So between these three, which I think will lead, I don't know which one has the fastest minimum maneuvering speed. I I don't know. I would guess maybe the B two, just because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's it's a well, it's a flying wing, so it doesn't have a tail, it doesn't have an elevator. Its characteristics are different. My guess is it will be whichever airplane has the highest minimum maneuvering speed. Now, for which one I think should go first, I think the B2 should go first. Because oh, really? Got, yeah, because you've got that triangle out there leading mm-hmm. the pack, and then you've got the B1 and the B52 uh, okay, on, so on either side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it should be the B52. I think it go, should go by seniority. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oldest plane leading the two new new kids. To our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on the new website, nexttripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter at Next Trip Podcast. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. Yeah, sorry, hold on. Okay. No, Poppy. Poppy, you cannot come in here and start talking. <laughs> I see. Yep. Where where is are that you? Ice cream? I see a bunch of stuff on your hands. Where are you making this slime? My playroom. In your playroom. Okay. Keep it in your playroom, please. Because I don't want you, your hands are all dirty and you're opening up and closing the doors. So go back and finish in your Yep, Drew sees it. Okay. Go back don't, and finish in Poppy, your don't eat it. Room, please. I'm already dying. Okay. Go wash your hands in your sink in your bathroom. And hey, sweetie, please, please stay out so I can finish, okay? Because every time you come in, it interrupts. Thank you. Is that Play-Doh? It's Play-Doh with glue and um, glitter. (laughs) That's what the last two weeks have been like. Uh (laughs) Um, Okay, let me see.